Enterprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest estates these days This representation of storm brewing Amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast I'm your host, Matt Chittam And this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there Who are working hard to get better While balancing running with the rest of their lives I'm so excited for today's show with Holly. Samuel Holly puts out great content all the time on her podcast, the Fit Cookie Nutrition Podcast. In addition to that, over on Instagram, she is just crushing it. She puts out such great content. And today we wanted to talk to her because she is a dietitian and a runner about fueling for summer workouts and exactly what that entails because it's something that a lot of people struggle with. Even people who've been running for a while, it's hard to really dial it in. And there's can be there can be so many factors, not only in terms of the individual factors, that play into what we each need, uh, which can be a little different in terms of what we can handle from a GI system to just our own preferences. In addition to that, just because it's summer, it doesn't mean that every day is the same weather-wise, right? I mean, some days it's 75, a little cloudy, and really nice out there. Other days, it's not. It can be pretty extreme. And what does that mean from a nutrition standpoint? And what does it not mean? And what things should we take into consideration? Uh, also, hey, not every run that we do is the same, right? Sometimes we're going out there for a cool 30 or 40 minutes, and other times we're doing three or four times that. So uh, it's important to know all these factors and how they kind of coalesce into a nutrition and eating strategy. So let's get into it with Holly Samuel. Holly Samuel, welcome to the show. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me. I've been listening for uh, years, so it's pretty surreal to be here right now. We've talked a lot, both online and on phone calls. We've had plenty of conversations. I think you might have been like the first person to ever download the Rambling Runner podcast. That's not why you're on today, but but I think it is true, though. Awesome. Yeah, no, I'll take that title. I I kind of agree. It's been it's been several years and I think I listened to your show this morning. So (laughs) we're still going strong. (laughs) Which one was that? Um, I think I listened to the last one you had with, um, I forget her name, but the physical therapist. Oh, Dr. Ayn Bui. Yeah, 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 exactly. She was great. Oh, yeah. She was great. I felt like that. You you have your own podcast. It's great. And we'll, we'll, actually, we'll plug in now. What is your podcast name? Thank you. Yeah, it's um, the Fit Cookie Nutrition Podcast. There you go. All right. And we're going to be covering a topic today that you're well-versed in. I'm sure you cover uh, a lot on all of your, your social media channels and your podcast. And you, your podcast is great because you, like, you have your expertise. Then you also bring in guests from time to time, too, which is exciting. But, um, yeah, she was great. I It's one of those people who, like, I felt like at the end of it, I'm like, that was just scratching the surface. It could have gotten so much deeper. Yeah, her story was really interesting. Whenever whenever I've talked to like physical therapists or like chiropractors too, I always feel like they'll say the same things and they never do, but they always like compliment each other. So I felt like I needed to take notes. <laughs> That's a great point. And I think the same thing can be said for dietitians as well, where like he's like, all right, these people are in the same field. I'm probably going to get the same sorts of information. And oftentimes that is not the case, which is really exciting and why I try to get people like you people like Dr. Bowie on all the time because not only is it just and sometimes you said the same things are said we all need to be reminded on occasion um, but in addition to that uh, everyone has their own expertise and their own opinions on things because so much of this can be individualized not only in terms of what you've learned but I think some of it has to be like learning this stuff through like your own lens of experiences which can kind of I would assume color how you view some of the stuff that you learn. 
Absolutely. I think, um, yeah, there's like certain things that probably stand out to different people just because of our own experiences with it, or maybe like just helping a specific population with it. Um, oh yeah, I like learn things from other dietitians all the time when I talk to them. So it's always fun to get other opinions. All right. So we're going to talk about nutrition and hydration in the summer months. If the summer months are here, we're in July, we're experiencing it. We're all sorts of experiencing this in some sort of way. And some of us have been doing this for more than others. To my friends in Houston, I apologize. You've probably been doing this for two months. But um, before we get into it, can you just tell me the difference? I know the difference, but tell all the listeners who may not know this, the difference between, say, someone who's a nutritionist and a dietitian. We're not doing this to throw shade at anybody, but oftentimes these titles can be conflated or just assumed that they're the same thing. And oftentimes people just aren't quite aware of the differentiation in the terms. Yeah, for sure. So um, that's a great question. Um, So for like the term nutritionist, Um, basically that's not like a very consistent term. So it's not regulated, um, who can call themselves like a nutritionist in most of the states in the U S some states do license the name nutritionist, but most of them actually don't. So basically you could have, you know, no degree or education at all in nutrition and call yourself a nutritionist, or you could have your PhD in nutrition and call yourself a nutritionist. Um, basically all dietitians by default, are nutritionists, um, but not all nutritionists are dietitians. So when we go down the dietitian route, basically it's just like a very predictable, consistent kind of education hoops that everybody jumps through. So um, all dietitians have gone through like a four-year degree um, undergrad in nutrition um, accredited by the Dietetics Association of the U.S. essentially. Um, which incorporates courses that are basically what like all of the pre like medical professional people take. Um, we're all kind of in the same category, just the nutrition students learn a little bit more, a lot of bit more actually <laughs> about nutrition in their undergrad. Um, and then after you graduate, you basically apply to become matched again, kind of similar to the medical field, um, to an internship, which sounds like this great thing that's like paid, but it's not, you're just paying to go to school. They just happen to call it an internship. Um, and then that internship basically gives you 1200 hours of experience in clinical community and food service nutrition. Um, and then after that, um, as of 2024, all dietitians will also have to have their master's degrees and then you can sit for your board's exam. Um, and then basically after you pass your board's exam, you are a registered dietitian, and then you have to keep up with continuing education requirements every year, um, which is also different state to state. And also there's like different standards for the national just registration. So if someone's calling themselves a dietitian, that's a very protected term. Um, It's a licensed healthcare professional. Um, Those are the hoops that they've jumped through. If someone's calling themselves a nutritionist, it can really mean anything. Um, And again, like you said, that being said, there's awesome like PhDs, masters, you know, people who have really great education in in nutrition, they just haven't gone the dietetics route. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, It's just slightly different. But then there's also, you know, people out there calling themselves nutritionists who, um, you know, really have gone through no education at all. All right. Thank you for that. Because it it's, it, it really is, there is a stark difference. And basically, nutritionist basically comes down to, it's a descriptive word, whereas a dietitian is a title. Exactly, exactly. 
All right, so let's get into it. So for, for, I guess before we do, um, people who don't know you, and a lot of people who are listening to this will know you, but for those of you who don't, can you just give us a quick rundown about your life as a runner to kind of set the stage for your expertise in this um, on this topic, not only as a dietitian, which you basically just laid out beautifully in terms of uh, your bona fides in that regard, just as a runner, what's been your experiences growing up and what have you been doing lately? Yeah. Um, so my background in running. So like you mentioned, I'm a dietitian. Um, that's why I know a lot about the titles and stuff. Otherwise, there's really no reason for you to know that information. But um, yeah, I basically have a practice, um, a private practice called Fit Cookie Nutrition, where I help runners with their nutrition. I'm also a personal trainer. So I do the training aspect as well. And it's pretty hilarious because I was very much like in the I hate running club for most of my life until um, probably about five or six years ago. Um, I grew up uh, riding horses. Um, I competed horses um, through high school and college. Um, it's like the one thing I can say, I'm like really confident that I'm really good at that. Like I was really good at the horse game. Um, and I did it semi-professionally for a year actually after I graduated from college. Um, and if anyone's listening who knows anything about like equestrian sports, um, you basically have to sell your soul to do that professionally. And that is going to be your life forever and ever, just like with any professional sport. Um, and I knew what it took and I knew that I wanted to do more things and not, you know, be attached to like a bar all the time. And like any sport too, there's a lot of politics in that world. But um, I kind of burnt out of riding a little bit. And to um, cope with some anxiety and mental health, I picked up running um, in college. And I really hated it <laughs> for a really long time. Um, and then actually my, one of my mentors um, from my childhood, who is actually my high school history teacher, um, which is kind of a funny thing. We're still really good friends. Um, he was, it's actually his fault that I'm a runner. So, uh, he got me into running. Um, he came and ran the Boston marathon the year after the bombings. Um, and I was at UNH up in New Hampshire when the bombings happened. I remember where I was sitting, um, in anatomy class, like everything that was going on. So that kind of really inspired me to start doing more of like the endurance component of running instead of just kind of going out for 10, 20 minutes um, and doing it for like, you know, to cope with mental health and also from like a body image perspective. I didn't have a great body image um, through college. And I think a lot of that had to do with just stress of that transition. But I started using running in a different way um, after I learned more about the marathon sport. So um, now I'm here and I have a business that's centered around it, <laughs> which is really funny because it's not really something I ever saw myself doing growing up. And here you are doing great work and, and you provide so much useful information that I find useful. And I, you know, um, you and, and a couple other people too, that I always make sure that I, I see exactly what they're doing all the time because it really can be helpful. So topic at hand getting ready to run and do exercise in the heat and what we need to do to fuel ourselves properly in that endeavor. Okay, I guess first things first, what are some, before we get into the differences, I guess what should we, let's talk about the similarities, right? So when, when you say, what are just some of the things that no matter the time of year that we should always be, you know, keep abreast of and make sure that we're on top of, I guess, no matter the weather conditions? 
Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so I know you and me, we're located in New England where the weather is kind of crazy um, and swings in both directions really often. But some people may also be in more temperate conditions or maybe even in similar extremes, but it's more like the dry heat. Whereas we have like, you know, you need a snorkel to go outside sometimes where we live. Um, but yeah, I mean, no matter what we're doing, when we're running, when we're exercising, whether it's inside or outside in any conditions, we're sweating. Um, so we're going to lose fluid and electrolytes in our sweat, um, no matter what we're doing. And basically, you know, as it gets hotter and as it gets more humid and that dew point goes up, um, our, we start to sweat more, um, because our body's trying to regulate its temperature. So from a perspective of, you know, we're always sweating when we're working out, it's just about how much, um, you know, we're always going to be needing to replace that, um, what we lose in sweat, which is fluid and electrolytes. Um, and it's still something that we should be thinking about, like even in the winter, if you live in a cold place, or even if you're running inside, like on a treadmill in very controlled conditions. And it's not something I usually see people start to worry about until it's obvious, until it's like really hot out <laughs> and, you know, they can't get through their workout without thinking about it or, you know, running into some sort of medical event, um, which can happen in really extreme conditions too. So kind of like similarities, you know, between the two environments, we always need to fuel our bodies. We always need to be practicing hydration strategies, but um, it can be a bit more extreme and like in your face <laughs> in the summertime. Right. So you have making sure that we're replenishing whatever we're, we're putting out from a sweat perspective, which is obviously a lot of just water, but then you also have the electrolyte component as well. Um, and then just fueling exercise just from a, you know, being able to be productive and um, not only fueling it from a energy standpoint, but making sure that we're um, recovering properly. Uh, when we think about pre and, and um, mid run nutrition, um, what are some of the baseline concepts that you provide your clients in terms of what they should keep in mind for those types of uh, nutrition strategies? Yeah, absolutely. So um, that's a great point. And like, I find a lot of my clients, um, at least, you know, when we start working together and I'm learning more about where they're coming from, um, a lot of them aren't doing a great job at eating before they go work out, especially if they're like morning runners. Um, so one of the biggest things I practice with, um, my clients that you'll see all over my social media feeds, if you go over there, um, you know, is to feel your body. So what I mean by that is, you know, before, um, you go out and go for a run or do your strength session or, you know, whatever it is, whether it's in the morning or the afternoon, you know, we really should have eaten something, um, in the morning, you know, right before your run, probably if you're waking up and rolling out of bed and doing it. Um, and then in the afternoon, you know, within, you know, one to two hours before your run, if you are coming from like a performance gains, getting faster and stronger and also preventing injuries standpoint, um, you know, that's kind of my main focus is to help people get faster and stronger and prevent injuries, um, and to keep their hormones happy and healthy too. But um, from that standpoint, so basically what we're focusing on, no matter what time of day you're running, um, or what it looks like, we're focusing on easy to digest carbohydrates, um, before you go out and go for your run. And that basically means carbohydrates that don't have a ton of fiber in them for most people. Um, if you have something with a lot of fiber in it, like if you think of a whole piece of fruit, vegetables, um, whole grains, you know, again, these are things that we probably hear are super good for us in the nutrition and health space. Well, for runners, <laughs> they are, but 
most people are probably going to find the closer you get to your run, if you're having these higher fiber foods, the more likely you're probably going to experience some sort of GI distress during your run. So kind of getting rid of that fiber in your pre-run fuel is something I'll focus on with people because the carbohydrates, um, you know, component of that, you know, which could be something like applesauce, some dates, some juice, um, you know, something very simple like a banana or white toast, um, white bread, gasp, um, <laughs> you know, those types of things are going to turn into glucose. And that's what fuels your brain and muscles to go perform that workout. And it's a very similar concept for during your run. We want um, really quick digesting carbohydrates. If you look at most sports nutrition products, um, like your goos and your honey stinger gels and um, your generation you can and your Martin gels, I'm trying to think of what other elite athletes use in sponsorships, um, those types of things, you know, Gatorade products. Um, those are basically composed of sugar, which is a very simple carbohydrate, which turns right into glucose and your body uses it immediately. Nothing gets kind of stuck in your stomach, sloshing around and causing issues. Um, so that's where we come from, from a basic standpoint. And with like fueling during your run, it's going to be a bit different for everyone, but we want to be, you know, consuming about 60 to 70 grams of carbohydrates per hour for our longer efforts, which basically means anything over like that 75 to 90 minute mark. Um, so if you're doing a longer run and you want to take those carbohydrates in like 20 to 30 gram doses every 40 minutes or so. And if you look at a lot of sports nutrition products, they're going to be in 20 to 30 gram doses. So it's kind of perfect for you to use. And to answer your question about summer, you know, or heat training and why that's different, we actually need to reduce our carb intake. Most people do um, during the run by about 10% per dosage, um, because otherwise you may experience GI distress. So when the body is hotter, um, if your body temperature is hotter, we become less good at oxidizing or using carbs for energy. So that can cause GI distress. So that's something I'm working with a lot of my clients on right now is to just figure out the dosing during their long runs if they're starting to experience GI distress using what they normally used in the winter. Hey, everybody. Do you want to save money on your grocery bill? Well, every plate is 25% cheaper than grocery shopping. Try America's Best Value Meal Kit for planning dinners today. I love every plate for a couple of different reasons. First of all, I just love having things in my kitchen, especially in my refrigerator, that isn't the same old thing that I do every single week. Also, getting things that aren't too adventurous that my kids are definitely going to eat. Obviously, you're never going to beat that a thousand with that. But with every plate, my kids have really enjoyed it. And I like the food as well. And it's just not the same stuff every single week, which can get tiring. So you can choose between 17 recipes that change each week, swap proteins and sides for things that you like, so you can switch up your dinner routine however you want. And that's the key thing. It's however you want. There's so many options, and it's all great stuff, which is also huge. For me, the difference between this and some of the other uh, services in this genre are, first of all, the price. It's absolutely fantastic. We'll get to it in a second. The kinds of meals that are provided, that they're really good, but not too adventurous, have also been a huge thing for me. And now I've been using these more often now that groceries have kind of gone up and the price for every plate has pretty much stayed the same. 
So try every plate today. It's $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code RAMBLINGRUNNER179. That stands for $1.79 per meal. So get started with every plate, like I said, for $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code RAMBLINGRUNNER179 today. That's up to $104 value. Our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I heard other podcasters who were really into performance and athletics, people like Rich Roll and Tim Ferriss, who used it all the time. And I thought, hey, man, if they're going to use it, then I should too. And I'm so glad that I did. So what's in the stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens, all to help you start your day the right way. The special blend of ingredients support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your focus, your recovery, literally all the things. I mean, there's too many things for me to list. I actually have to like take a pause during the sentence, uh, but it's, it's legit and I'm so glad that I use it. I use it basically because I know that Getting my vitamins and minerals from from foods is probably the best way to do it. But I usually just don't have the kind of diet and make the kind of food choices that's going to put myself in the optimum position. And that's why I take Athletic Greens to make sure that I have everything I need because I know I'm probably not getting it from foods because I just don't quite have the, the discipline or the food choices that I need. And Athletic Greens is there to help me out. And I'm so glad that they are. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. Wow, I had never heard that before. That is really interesting. All right, so when you're making that sort of alteration, now I'm thinking about, again, my own lens, right? So say I'm one of your clients, I'm a runner, and I'm like, okay, so I have my like my Goo Roctane gel packet that I got in my Trismith shorts, I'm ready to roll. Um, does that mean that I maybe don't finish it because it has the, the, the amount of uh, carbohydrates in there? Or do I just take it less frequently? Like, all right, well, now I'm going to do it every 50 minutes to every 40 minutes. Or how do I make sense of that? I would say it depends or maybe both, um, which you're probably sick of hearing if you have dietitians on your show, because um, <laughs> that's what we all say. But so let me give you a few instances on where my brain's at. So basically, you know, if you um, are hotter, you know, because you're running in the summer and your body's just having a harder time cooling itself down, which is why we'll talk about hydration. Um, you're not as good at oxidizing as many carbohydrates at once. So if you're the kind of person to take out that Roctane goo and like take all of it in one, you know, sw swig, which like is a skill and I salute you cause I can't do that. Um, you know, that might be a bit too much when you're extra hot. Um, and it might benefit you to take a little bit less all at once. So maybe you're not finishing it, you know, and, and we're talking about 10% difference. That's maybe like, you know, five to 10 grams, um, of a difference. It's not, you know, over the course of an hour. So that's not a ton. Um, but the little bit can make a big difference. And what I'll see runners make the mistake of is maybe taking like their goo with like a sports drink that has carb in it. And that's like way too much at once. Um, and it like shows even more in the summertime that it's way too much. 
But for your Roctane, you could take a little bit less all in one swig. So maybe just do like three quarters of it. Or you could just take it more slowly, like over the course of that mile so that you are taking the whole amount, but you're spreading it out just a little bit within that dosage, if that makes sense. That's a great point. And I love how you kind of collaborate the, the gel packet with the different kinds of hydration that we can bring along, right? So we have the water thing. We can have, like, whether it's noon or element or things like that, that we can pop into the water to provide some sort of electrolyte ba- electrolytes along with the, uh, the water itself. But then, again, if you just have, like, say, Gatorade or Powerade or something like that, like, that's going to have carbohydrates in it as well. And that's a great point. Like, sometimes we don't think about the carbohydrates that might be in that in addition to the goo packets that we might be carrying or the honey stingers or, or what have you, um, do you find that the, um, the carbohydrates in a sports drink are easier to consume in the summer than, say, a goo packet, or does it not really matter? It really depends on the person. I think um... – I mean, I think for me, like I'm, I'm more of a liquid person. Like if I can get the liquids, like I'm, I'm just like more apt to want to take it. Um, but I think for some people too much volume too sitting in their stomach might come back up stream, um, you know, and give them reflux. So it kind of depends on the individual and the preference and what's easiest for them to take, um, from like a nutrition standpoint and just like organizing fueling plans for people. It's definitely easier, um, to keep like fluid and carbohydrate separate. Um, because then we can control the dosing a lot better because if you think of like, Gatorade endurance, um, or like scratch labs or electrolyte beverages that have carbohydrate in them, which you do want a little bit of carbohydrate with your electrolytes that actually helps them get absorbed better, but you don't want a ton. Um, it helps to keep them separate because then I can say, okay, if you're a, which we'll talk about electrolytes, but you know, if you need more electrolytes than what this dosage is, it's easy just to double the dosage without, without thinking about, oh no, that also now doubles the carbohydrate in it. Um, if that makes sense. So that's where like <laughs> practicing with what's going to be at aid stations at your races is a good idea if that's what you plan to use. But oftentimes at a lot of races, they're using Gatorade endurance and goose, and it can be kind of difficult to get the dosing on those correctly. If you're someone who needs something more specific. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. And what did we, you know, we brought up UCAN before. I don't know how much experience you have with that, both as, as an athlete and then also helping people who use it. It it does provide a different variable, and they're not sponsoring this episode. It's just I use UCAN on occasion, not every single day, but I have. And, you know, they provide, you know, they say it's the super starch, which they say, you know, as opposed to, say, sugar, it's supposed to give you more sustained energy for longer. If someone's a UCAN user, how does that potentially alter the way that they're going to fuel mid-run? Because that's not really like a fast-acting carbohydrate, so it's not like a UCAN gel with superstar is going to have the same sort of immediate pop that like a Guroctane would have. But how would that person maybe navigate that experience? Yeah, that's a good question. I use UCAN myself kind of similarly, like not for every run, but I do like using the product and I am an affiliate of UCAN. Um, but, and some of my clients will use it too. Um, what I like about it is the fact that it's not going to spike someone's blood sugar immediately. Um, I have certain clients who are going to be more sensitive to that. So I'll have them maybe try that product if they're able to. Um, what I find challenging about you can, which they did just come out with a new product that is more like a gel, but it still does have the super starch. So you use it kind of similarly in terms of dosing. 
But what I like about it is the fueling standpoint is a little bit different. So um, it's designed to be taken like one serving, and then that's supposed to give you an hour of fuel. Um, for some people, I'll still have them take, you know, like um, some simple sugar, like from a gel or a chew or something like that in between, depending on the person and depending on the length of their event. But um, you can definitely spread out the dose of UCAN a little bit better. Um, what's kind of difficult about UCAN if you're not like Meb Kifleski and you don't have like a table with your bottle waiting on it, um, is carrying it. So I think that's probably one of the biggest barriers for people using it during races if they're not going to be able to or not want to carry something and they also don't have like their sponsored fluids table waiting for them. Um, I think that's their solution with this new product, which is called, I think, Edge. Um, so, I mean, the UCAN is your carbohydrate component. If you're taking it in powder form with a liquid, it's going to give you a little bit of your fluid um, recommendations per hour as well, because you're consuming fluid with the powder. Um, but UCAN really doesn't have a ton of electrolytes in the product itself. So you would still have to get those from somewhere else. Right. I know they kind of like a, they have a secondary component where you can like do the little car, the, the electrolyte little mini scooper. It's like yeah. the size of a dime. It's, it's like the tiny. smallest thing you've ever seen. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cause I like to use it for like before, say a longer easy run. Say I'm doing an easy run that's 75 minutes. I might not want to take a gel with me. Right. So it's like they're not super cheap. Right. So you don't want to be like rocking three gels every run. You went through 20, 30 gels a week and you're like, Oh my gosh, like this is getting, this is really adding up here. Where it's like, all right, I can take the, the, the you can an hour before. And that does provide, it feels like it provides me energy. But again, I'm not an expert. I don't know. I feel like that it's kind of hits that middle ground for like the longer easy runs as opposed to like, all right, I'm doing two and a half hours today. What's going to be my strategy to getting through the whole thing? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I think for easy efforts or like your long and slow gear, so like your half and full marathon type efforts, it's a, it's a great product. Um, and the, the carbohydrate in it does digest more slowly, which is one of the reasons why you get that sustained energy. Um, for like those shorter bursts of energy, if you're doing like track repeats or maybe just a much shorter distance that feels like you're redlining more often, um, sometimes having the simpler carbohydrates can actually help work that system of the body. Um, when we think about a lot of, um, big buzzword, like on social media, or just in the endurance world in general right now is like being fat adapted. And if people can't see me, I'm doing air quotes around fat adapted. Um, but being a fat adapted athlete, you know, um, and using fat for fuel instead of carbohydrates. And you can kind of is somewhere in the middle of using carbohydrates and being fat adapted. It kind of works those two systems. Um, and from a dietitian's take, like being fat adapted isn't necessarily a bad thing. It just means you're good at doing longer, slower distances. Um, and that's what using fat for fuel is essentially good at. But if you want to do any kind of speed or, you know, working on sustaining a faster speed for a longer distance, um, you do need the carbohydrate component and any risk that comes with being fat adapted, like getting injured because you're not eating enough carbohydrates, having hormone imbalances, especially as females and just burning out or having a restrictive, um, relationship with food because you can't eat as many carbs. Um, for me, you know, as a dietitian, for most people, it doesn't necessarily outweigh, um, the benefits, which are maybe being able to go longer and slower for a little bit longer of a distance, but still not performing better from a speed standpoint. Right. And there's a huge difference. And these are so often conflated with someone going keto to someone being strategic with their carb intake and centering it around efforts that really need it. 
like the track workouts, right? Like the threshold workouts where you're really diving into that anaerobic state and you, and utilizing glucose at a much uh, faster rate versus like, no, I'm preparing for an Ironman triathlon. Like I can't be burning glucose for 12 hours, right? Like you really have to dive into the fat part of it um, and making sure that you're preparing yourself for that. And it's not to say like that in that, even in that case, that glucose is bad. It's like, no, I only want to use it when I need it not being inefficient with it. And all of a sudden I'm using it when I should be just cruising along at easy pace here. And I shouldn't have to dive into that pool. I should be over here on this other side. Yeah. Having the ability to use both systems is really valuable. Cause if you're not also, if you're not practicing using carbohydrates for energy, and then you try to take carbohydrates on your race course, like you're going to end up in the porta potty. Oh God. <laughs> oh God. That's not, that's not pretty in, in every sense of the phrase. That's for sure. Um, that can be really, really tough. All right. So let's talk about um, how hydration needs differ depending on the weather conditions. And obviously when I say weather conditions, I'm not just talking about temperature. Yeah, good question. So like I mentioned before, um, we're losing fluid and electrolytes and sweat no matter what. Um, but we're probably going to lose more when it's hotter out or when it's more humid and our sweats like not evaporating and cooling us off. So um, basically, to, just to define electrolytes, so they're, they're minerals, they're sodium, potassium, chloride, calcium, bicarbonate, um, and magnesium. Those are the main electrolytes that we lose in sweat. And we lose the most sodium and potassium um, in our sweat compared to the others and chloride technically, but that's bound usually to both of them from like a chemical perspective. So those are the electrolytes we need to kind of think about. Um, and we also need to think about the fluids. So how you get these in like throughout your run doesn't really matter. Like they can come from a little bit from your goose, like your goo roctane is going to have some sodium and potassium in it. Um, I think it has like 1250, is it milligrams? I forget the, 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 the unit of measure, but I remember the number. Yeah. Some of them have quite a bit, um, like the salted margarita, like shot blocks too. Those are like extra salty. Um, so a lot of companies have a couple of different like options for how much sodium is in their fuel product, which is really meant to be the carbohydrate component, but it will contribute to your hydration and electrolytes as well. Um, and then you've got something like you can, you know, or more in even where there's carbohydrates and water. So you've got some water component to your hydration, but there's not much electrolyte. So where you get it from doesn't really matter. It's more of just the fact that you get it and that you're timing it correctly. So you don't end up with a ton of GI distress. So from those perspectives, um, you basically want to be taking in anywhere between like 12 and 32 ounces of water per hour. Um, and everyone's different. Like people lose different amounts of fluid in their sweat per hour. I mean, on the hottest days, some really heavy sweaters might even be losing up to like 50 to 60 ounces per hour. So like these are very generic recommendations and it kind of depends on the person, but, um, and you want to be taking in that 12 to 32 ounces of water, you know, in like four to eight ounce doses, um, like every 10 to 20 minutes or so to kind of meet your quota. You don't want to just like stop at the 60 minute mark and chug a water bottle. Like that's not what I'm saying. Um, you know, we want to break it up into doses and you want to also be taking in between 300 and 1200, which is like a huge range, um, milligrams of sodium per hour. And again, you don't really want to be taking it in like all at once, you want to have it in more divided doses. Um, and from a carbohydrate perspective, we want to be taking in, you know, around 60 to 70 grams of carb per hour if our efforts under two hours. 
um, or upwards of 90 grams per hour if our effort is over two hours. So like, unless you're Elliot Kipchoge, you know, (laughs) marathons, um, you know, you definitely want that 90 gram mark. Um, So how you get these things, you know, you can get it from a lot of different sources, but from your hydration perspective, you know, you want to be taking in probably four to eight sips, you know, gulps. If we think of like one ounce, it's usually about a gulp of water. Um, you want to be taking that in probably every 10 to 20 minutes or so. I'd recommend even more frequently if it's really hot and if you're feeling like you, you can do it and you need it. Um, but we also want to make sure we're getting the electrolytes in. So what I'll have a lot of my athletes do is either alternate. So like take your four to eight ounce, um, water dosage, and then 10 to 20 minutes later, take your four to eight ounce water dosage, but have that one contain electrolytes, um, and alternate back and forth. Um, and then you can also add in anything that's coming from like your goo, you know, if it contains sodium, just to make sure that you're at least meeting the minimums per hour. But if you're a saltier sweater, and we know that because you've maybe done a sweat test through like the new Gatorade patch, or you notice that you're always caked in, you know, white salt and your clothes are white, like after you finish a workout, um, then we'll, we'll pretty much say, okay, let's maybe increase the sodium a little bit more, um, especially if you feel good doing it. And let's do it even more in the summertime when you're losing more in sweat. I just rambled a lot, though, on the Rambling Runner podcast. So <laughs> I love it. That's why we're here, Holly. Keep it going. I'm glad you brought up the Gatorade Salt Patch. I know that's a fairly new product out there. I don't have any experience with it, but it seems intriguing to me. And I, and I used to, you know, I, I know Seth Baer has been on this podcast a lot. He was an athlete I was working with for a while who was like a really heavy sweater. But it was like we talked about this before that patch came out. And do you have any personal experience with this or do your clients? Because it does seem like an intriguing development. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, the dietitian in me was really excited when this came out just from a nerd perspective um, and the data I would get to have on my athletes. But um, yeah, so like traditionally, if you wanted to know your sweat rate, so how much fluid you lose when you're running, you could, if it's not going to trigger you, you could weigh yourself sans clothes before your run, go run for an hour and then weigh yourself sans clothes after your run. And then basically there's a calculator online that will tell you how much sweat you lost in that hour. And then based off of how many ounces of sweat you lose in an hour, you want to replace 80% or more of that. So that's how you calculate your fluid loss. That's pretty simple. But like how to calculate how many electrolytes you're losing within that sweat that's like impossible to do at home. Um, you know, you would have to go traditionally to like at a university and get like a fancy sweat test done that most people are never going to have access to. So Gatorade's solution to that, and I'm like not an affiliate at all. I just think this is really cool. Um, you know, they kind of created this patch. So I've had a couple of my clients use it who are like Ironman triathletes, um, you know, collegiate runners, you know, recreational runners, um, all different kinds of sweaters. And you basically just like, wear the patch, you go for a run, and then the patch like data syncs to your phone and it tells you how much sweat you lost um, or like how much of each electrolyte you lost in your sweat. And it calculates um, kind of like a electrolyte sweat rate for you so that you have an idea of how much sodium and magnesium and potassium and chloride and whatnot to replace. Um, And what's interesting is what I found in my clients so far is that it kind of changes depending on, of course, the weather, what type of run it was. Was it an easy run or was it like a track workout? Um, you know, was it windy and your sweat was drying pretty quickly? Um, but it's like 25 or $30 and it does give you a lot of data. And, you know, it kind of tells someone if we need to be 
way more intentional about replacing electrolytes or, you know, if they're maybe not needing to be super worried about it because they're kind of average and any product and dosage is going to work for them. That is interesting. All right, let's get back into what you just mentioned in terms of the type of run and its influence on the kind of hydration that we should that we should have. Yeah, so like an easy run versus like more of a quality session, you mean? And not even just a quality session generally, like, all right, so most of us will have some sort of like a longer run during the weekend. And maybe there is some up-tempo work in that longer run. And then maybe during the week, we're doing something a little speedier, a little peppier, um, maybe closer to you know our aerobic threshold. Gotcha. They're both really good to practice with because like, depending on what you're training for, you know, you want to be able to take fluids in, which is kind of like a science and an art within itself is not choking on the water or spilling it all over yourself. Um, you know, going fast. Does that count? Does that count in terms of (laughs) of water taken in if I just like dump it on my head? Through like osmosis. (laughs) No, unfortunately. Um, which is kind of funny. Like I'll tell people, you know, your Dixie cup at the aid station, it's going to contain like six ounces of water, but also are you really drinking everything that's in there? Let's take, keep this into account. Um, and make sure you maybe take a couple cups and do the, the pinch and sip method. But Um, yeah, I mean, if it's like a faster effort and that's something that might be mimicked on race day, it's super important to practice the technique, but from like a what's in it perspective, I would keep the recommendations very similar. Um, and again, if you're going to be sweating more and something that's, you know, faster, um, it's going to be good for you to practice having anything in your stomach during that effort, because your gut has to be trained to take all of that in, just like your legs have to be trained to run around the track really fast. Um, and then you can kind of troubleshoot from there if you need to adjust your, your dosage or maybe the product you're using, if it's not sitting right with you for some reason, if there's like an extra ingredient in there that might cause any issues. Um, and then like for longer efforts, you're just out there for a longer period of time. So, you know, if you can practice taking it in during slower efforts, it's going to help, you know, you know, keep you healthy and on your feet for that effort. But also if you do have those tempo miles in there or some sort of spice (laughs) into your long run, um, again, practicing the technique is helpful, but I wouldn't necessarily change like the dosing requirements too much on that. So it sounds like we should be taking in the summer and maybe all year round for all I know, please, please let me know. It sounds like we should be taking a handheld water with us on every run. Yeah. And that's part of like, that's part of the challenge too, is like carrying it can be hard. Um, yeah. So, I mean, if it's something that's, you know, under an hour and it's in the summertime, if it's something that's under an hour and it's in like very mild conditions, I mean, if you, if you want to take water, you can, you'll probably be okay. If you, you know, if you don't, um, if it's winter or fall or spring and it's over an hour, yeah, I would definitely take water and practice, you know, some of this, you're probably be able to be on the lower end of how much water you need and how many electrolytes you need, just because we're not losing as much in sweat in, in the colder months. In the summertime, you know, if it's really hot out, um, you know, and it's more than 30 minutes, you should probably take water with you. <laughs> um, and if it's really hot out and it's longer than 60 minutes, you know, you should definitely be taking both of them with you and you'll probably need more. Got it. All right. Yeah, that's that makes a lot of sense. And, and thank you for like framing in terms of the entire calendar, because I think that, you know, there are definitely moments where you run in temperate conditions, you finish up, it's been 45 minutes or 50 minutes, right? You do like your five, you know, four to six miles or whatever. And like, you don't feel like, all right, I definitely need to drink some, I, you know, I, I'm coming home, I'm thirsty or whatever, or, or I'm not like dripping with sweat. You're like, all right, do I really need to carry this? Because you're right, it can't be such, can be, it can be a pain in the butt 
to have the handheld all the time and just washing it, right? Because all these handhelds, a lot of them have like the cloth fabric on the side, which is great. It makes it so so much easier to carry. But if you're using that all the time, like all of a sudden, like you don't want to be carrying around stinky stuff all the time. So I think we we all would like to have that with us as as uh, as um, less as we can. That's not that's not the right way to phrase it. But I think hopefully you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, if you don't have to carry it, you know, don't don't bother. But it's good to practice too. <laughs> that's for sure. All right. So from a Going back to the nutrition side, I feel like we've like handled hydration really well here. All right. One thing I didn't ask you regarding the nutrition was how that should vary depending on the intensity of the run. I think we talked about long run and easy run, but we didn't really talk about like if we're doing uh, a harder you know, aerobic based, you know, anaerobic based effort or parts where we're diving into the anaerobic side of things. How does that potentially change uh, what we should be fueling? Yeah. So kind of back to like the long, slow distance and talking about fat oxidation versus carbohydrates and and kind of that kind of thing. So when you're getting more into your interval sessions, you know, your, your speed, um, you know, those anaerobic efforts, you're going to be using a lot more carbohydrates to make that happen. Um, so, you know, from like a, Fueling standpoint, again, for a fueling standpoint during the run, it is going to be a lot about training your gut to take in something at those high, high speeds because it is a very different experience than taking it on an easy run. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily change the dosage too much because you do still need to get, you know, just as much in, um, and you need to just make it happen and make sure it's smooth. But from like a pre-run perspective or just like an overall getting prepared for this run perspective, you know, you, you might be better suited making sure you have more simple digesting carbohydrates, just like in, in higher dosage throughout, you know, maybe the, your dinner the night before, um, you know, your breakfast the morning of, and so on and so forth, because you are going to be using those carbohydrates, um, for energy. And you're not really going to be tapping into that, like fat burning mode much. Yeah. I've noticed a big difference when I'm and this doesn't always happen. So I'm not going to, I'm not, I don't want to sell like someone who does this all the time because that would be a complete fabrication. But when I have planned my dinners the night before, um, a, a harder effort versus like when I haven't and who knows what, I've definitely noticed the difference in terms of a fueling, you know, if a, you know, a proactive fueling strategy the night before in its effect, um, on, on myself. And, you know, there were times where I've done, I've never done keto by any means, but I did do a lower carbohydrate um, eating routine a while back. And I remember like noticing a stark difference when the night before, if I had like sweet potatoes and stuff like that, and just kind of had more of a traditional meal in terms of the carbs, carb size on my plate, being like, wow, this run just feels different than, than say the one last week where I maybe um, didn't act in that manner. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, the that can make a really big difference just in topping off your glycogen stores, um, which is that stored carbohydrate in your muscles and liver, um, and just making that more accessible, you know, during your hard workout where the free carbohydrate in your system that maybe you just ate and also your stores are going to be burned through really quickly. Um, so if they're topped off, you know, because you thought ahead and had your sweet potato the night before, you're probably going to be in better shape that day. All right, Holly, thank you so much for all this information. If someone wants to know more about you and all the services that you provide, where should they go? 
Um, yeah. So again, um, my practice is called Fit Cookie Nutrition. Um, I'm pretty active on Instagram. So my handle is just Fit Cookie Nutrition on Instagram. And then we also mentioned my podcast as well. Um, I'm pretty long winded, which is why I started a podcast, as you may have realized during this episode. Um, so you can head over on pretty much any podcast hosting site, Spotify, Google, Apple, um, and find the Fit Cookie Nutrition podcast as well. All right. Thank you so much for coming on the show. This was fantastic. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. All right, there we go. Holly, thank you so much for bringing the knowledge here on the Rambling Runner podcast. Go check her out. Holly's absolutely fantastic uh, over on Instagram and her own podcast, the Fit Cookie Nutrition Podcast. She's just the best. So thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.